0: Welcome to the Sanctum Secorum Halloween Special, where we plunge into darkness and drag materials from the haunted depths and lay their corpses at the feet of your DCC RPG table. The library staff are doing something a little different on this All Hallows' Eve. This time, each of them has read a different story from a different issue of Tales from the Magician's Skull. Perhaps one of them would like to
1: begin our journey. Mark Brunner. The story I picked for tonight was from Volume 2, Stolen Witness, by James Inge. When a pair of thanes of the sorcerous order of the Graith of the Guardians are discovered dead and a powerful relic they were set to watch over known as Witness Stone goes missing, Morlock Ambrosius, a low-ranking member with a blemished past, is tasked to help with the investigation into the very highest members of the order itself. The task is not an easy one. The stone can be used by powerful seers to compel those who have touched it into acting on their behalf, even wiping the memories of those under its sway. And little does Morlock suspect that the defender brought in by the order to solve the crime, Nevros Toll, hopes to use him as bait to allure the various suspects into revealing the true thief. I picked this one because it had a cool sort of crime scene element setting. And I thought it was very akin to sort of like the Alienist series where it's a, an early take on crime scene investigation, but for a fantasy setting. Hmm. And it also has a really cool graveyard scene where Morlock is under compulsion to go and dig up the grave of one of these thanes that's been killed and discovered dead over the stone. It's great because during the course of the digging, he's pausing every once in a while because he's fighting against this compulsion and the other witnesses see him sort of pick something out of the grave and it reveals that it's a, a grave worm that he's plucking out of one of the eyes of the thanes that's been murdered. Appetizing. But this yeah. This is a fun story because it's it's apparently part of a series. So so James Inge has done a number of, I guess, Morlock Ambrosia stories. This is the only one I've read, and it's in I think he's the only one that he's written for the Tales from magician Skulls. But uh, it was very intriguing and it, it made me want to read a little bit more. That he builds with just a little bit of hints of everything, a wide world. You know, it has reference to he was raised by dwarves because his traitorous father was Uh, revealed by the witness stone and compelled to tell the truth about his plot to overthrow the king. And so, you know, there's references to his past background. There's this order of gravekeepers and healers that one of the thanes is a member of and it makes the uh, priority of his burial sort of a compelling plot element and it's this hint of the seers and this sort of like uh the great of the guardians and their and that order is touched on in some to to some extent you know where they've sort of like almost like vancian sorcerers in their agelessness you know in terms of how they extend their lives through magic and they have hints of, you know, how they've trained themselves over the years to be, you know, adept swordsmen and, and things like that. Basically, like mastering skills that would take lifetimes to consume, but they have lifetimes to consume. So, it, it you know, it's something they can do. It wards off the boredom. Yeah, yeah, Exactly um but they're also very suspicious of each other and that that also drives the plot as well because you can't quite tell who is a suspect who's not and who's in league with each other a short snappy story that's well written and definitely worth checking out if you're looking for something that's in the crime halloween vein i guess Ooh. so, so that's it's a fun and and what i paired it with for picking something from digital clock classics was there's a story as part of the campaign elements series that was published by Purple Duck Games by Daniel Bishop called The Falkate Idol. And oh. it's a it's one of these drop-in adventures. I think we covered Silent Nightfall in a previous episode. Oh, yes. With, yes, it, we with The Changing Earth. <laughs> that was a, a great sort of example of what you can use these short drop-in adventures if you're looking for something to fill a gap between campaigns, if you're looking for just something that draws your adventures into a larger series of events, you know, maybe like a web of things that are going on. So the Falkade Idol is a story centered around a thieving of an a religious idol that can be set in any sort of underground city you know, elements, you know, caverns or you know something like that. It, interestingly, the way it's written, it actually can be run as a solo adventure for a high level thief. So if you wanted to try to test a uh, you know a thief's abilities to navigate through this to steal this artifacts or these, these gems that are rumored to be part of this idol. It's kind of a cool way to, to take maybe a smaller part, even, even like a solo adventure and and do that. Um, And like everything by Daniel Bishop, it's, it's well-written and it's just honed, you know, in terms of uh, the things that he presents.
2: Well, that makes it sound like a perfect adventure to use. If you're a couple players short, Yeah, drop that in. And it sounds like it would, this would skin together really well.
1: It is because the, the whole idea behind the the James Inge story is this mystery surrounding this uh, this missing witness stone, which is a powerful relic and it has untapped potential. Which there's sort of hints at in Daniel Bishop's story as well, or Daniel Bishop's adventure. In that, you know, there's other things that can lure the party down there, not just the idol's eyes, but the rumor that part of the idols worshippers have tapped into what's known as the egg of creation, and this egg has sorcerer's powers similar to what a, uh, a wizard or, or, or a cleric might be seeking in order to quest for it or to placate a patron, for example. And that's, that's sort of the, the impetus behind the witness stone as well. It's this untapped potential because normally the order uses the witness stone to compel those who touch it into telling the truth. But that's really only the surface of what the witness stone is. And you discover more about it during the course of the story. And it becomes this dark, terrifying experience, actually, once it's revealed what it truly is. And it's kind of a a fun play with regards to some of the the Halloween elements that we're talking about this week.
2: Well, it sounds like you could almost bust out your inner Lovecraft and start it with them doing a grave robbery. And rather than having to lure them to this catacombs where the idol would be found, it's old ghoul tunnels beneath the cemetery. Ooh, they crack like a- through, and, and you know they, they get to where the body should be, and the body is gnawed away, and they fall through, and they follow it. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, you can do so many cool and creepy things with tight underground tunnels that lead to dark, forgotten places.
3: So I have a question. Uh, you said Morlock was raised by a community of dwarves, but he is not one himself.
1: He's not. The background between Morlock is that he is the prodigy or the, the member of the ambrosies, which are a, a powerful family of seers, you know, basically like a group of people who who are known for their magical abilities. And his father in particular was a traitor and discovered to be a traitor through this very stone that's gone missing. And so Ooh. he was taken away at a young age to be raised by dwarves in, in the absence of not having a father or natural father. And so it's an element of story and I'm sure it becomes part of his background and other stories written by James Inge. But That's yeah. It's a nice
3: bit of little intrigue. to circle back to that artifact then.
1: It is, yeah, because it, it's it's why he's brought under this case, is as you might call it by the defender um Nevrosirtol. He is hoping to use or leverage the fact that his has some connection to the stone to possibly lure some of the people who are suspects into revealing themselves through you tapping into Morlock's connection to it, so that's it's it, it's it definitely has a plot element, and it's it's kind of fun to see how it turns out.
3: I like those. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's very cool.
1: Yeah, it's it's a fun story, and it's it's very cool if you like the sort of Sherlock Holmes investigative elements, but in a fantasy setting. And I think it's it's not so heavy-handed that it it seems off-putting. It it just it's very deft and uh, well-written. So.
3: So it's a really little enjoyed. bit more merit than, say, Ellery Queen. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> oh, good one. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Jen Brinkman.
3: I chose issue number one and the story There Was an Old Fat Spider by C.L. Werner. Carl, a penniless trapper, comes across the ultimate trap. He befriends it to do his bidding, studying its feeding cycles and leading those who've bullied him the most straight into its lair. Losing livestock was bothersome, but when people start going missing, Rudolph, beast catcher royal, is sent to the hamlet to investigate. And mm-hmm. I'm just going to say right off the bat... Uh, yeah, I'm pairing this with The Treacherous Cob Traps from Jim Johnson from Brave Halfling Publishing. Ooh, love that one. The writing style of C.L. Werner seemed really familiar and I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And it turns out he appears in many Lovecraftian compilations and also writes for Warhammer 40K, hmm. which explains a little bit of why it feels so familiar put it in even further appendix end terms it really feels like abraham Merritt and fritz Leiber compiled to, on this one uh, <laughs> with that level of human intrigue and the fact that the creature appearances are almost incidental and i would give the caveat to the merit writing by saying this one actually has a happy ish ending hey heavy on the ish so the trap is the giant spider it, it's the Titular character, really. Uh, it is so very like the Queen of Stygian Orb Weavers that you find in the Treacherous Cob Traps. Although the description of C.L. Warner's spider, the venom effects and the feeding techniques are much more unsettling. We're walked through the last trapping of Carl's before Rudolph the Beast Catcher catches on. And in this one, he's led into the forest glen and he sees these lank pouches of webbing hanging from the prior victims and it it's i won't say gruesome but what isn't halloween themed if not webbing everywhere and partially desiccated bodies within webbed pouches <laughs> uh, so i'm keeping with the theme you're welcome Of course, our main character, Carl, is besotted with the tavern wench, and when his feelings aren't returned, he attempts to lure her next, which is when Rudolph makes two discoveries. First, of course, what this trap is, and that the barmaid can defend herself. (laughs) Which, yeah, okay, I I appreciate that too. It was a little bit of a surprise ending on that one, so I don't want to give a whole lot of that particular bit away. Um, it's a fun little read, and I really appreciate that for those of our listeners who aren't familiar, Tales from the Magician's Skull actually includes DCC RPG stats in the back of the issue. Thank for, you,
2: Mr. Olson.
3: For most of <laughs> the uh, <laughs> yeah. really cool things listed. And like the sylvan cloak that the beast Catcher wears. It's made of exactly 103 wings of dusk moths, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) right?
2: (laughs) That's precise. Yes, thank
3: you, Terry. (laughs) Essentially, it renders the wearer magically invisible, but they still cast a shadow.
2: Okay,
1: That's, that's rather cool. I love the idea of a beast catcher royal. Right. that's his title and it's just intriguing that you know that in a fantasy setting there is sort of the game warden version of the the monster catcher you know yeah
3: well and and he (laughs) talks about his previous tasks involving things like catching lycanthropes or he they actually did capture some creatures but it turned out somebody else set them free and
2: Oh, oh well there's a adventure in itself
3: Right, right. I, I kind of like that character. Honestly, I, I felt a little bad for the poor trapper in, in the beginning of the story. He's picked on by all of these just gruff guys laughing at him because he's penniless. And I'm like, hey, that's not cool. And then Carl finds this spider, which can uh, make you be friends with it, really. And... Uh, Then, dude, still not cool.
2: (laughs) I've got to say, especially Halloween and all, there is a movie that ties into that character to a T if you just switch the spider to a rat and sit down and watch Willard. Oh, The whole concept of the man that's bullied that befriends this rat and he's using the rats to get back at the people that have been tormenting him. Oh, yes. And both the original and the remake are pretty good i mean the original's better because it's the original but <laughs> <laughs> the moment you started describing this that immediately left in my mind I'm like huh ultimate trap friends it does his bidding kills mm-hmm. people with yeah yeah that's that's willard hmm. so it's just got more legs and uh spinier fur uh, or is it smooth is it smooth and really creepy
3: i'm i'm gonna let you find that one out for yourself um thanks
2: now i'm just gonna get a good sleep with that
3: yeah, so you also get stats for the old fat spider and the, uh, shall we say, spiderlings, uh. and there's a full spell right up in here.
2: Ooh! Oh, a new right. spell. That's great.
3: And as Rudolph puts it at the very end of this story. It's easy to look the other way when a bit of witchcraft keeps you out of a spider's belly. (laughs) So we have witchfire presented to us from the illustrious Mr. Olsen, presented with the choice of elemental affinity between heat, cold, or electricity. Oh, nice.
1: Nice.
3: Yeah. So some of the visuals at the end of this little story with the spiderlings and everything else... Yeah, I I would definitely read more of this author's writings, presupposing I haven't already. And I will definitely be looking for some more of the anthologies that he appears in. I mean, there's uh, one titled "A Grimoire of Eldritch Investigations," and come on, Shakespeare versus Cthulhu. Why I, that... do we not already have this one? <laughs> right.
2: Ah, <laughs> uh, hey honey, I need to I need to buy books. Is that okay?
3: Mm. Can't wait till after Christmas, <laughs>
2: <laughs> but, or at least but,
3: after Halloween.
2: But there's this book you might want for Christmas. It has Shakespeare versus Cthulhu. Oh, stop. <laughs> that is really cool, though. I totally dig that. And yeah, the the Beast Catcher Royale. It reminds me of. I'm trying to remember what the name of the beast was, uh, they thought it was a werewolf in France, and so many people hunted and were actually killed by this thing before it was brought down. Right. And historians now think it was a hyena. Oh, wow. oh, man. That had been brought in, but it's just, it's one of those things where you're hearing, you know, when you, you read these tales of the king sending out these huntsmen to capture this monster, stuff like that really yeah. happened. Yeah, and I, so, I,
3: I wouldn't be at all surprised if that was part of the inspiration behind part of this story.
2: Man, it gives you a lot to tie into horror-wise and history-wise.
3: Exactly. That's a a
2: juicy bit of tale. Yeah.
3: And I will say that the module, uh, which I ran in my first year of uh, Road Crew Games Okay, yeah, I looked at the title, and I went, hey, I've got a built-in tie-in. And I did not realize how well it was going to tie in (laughs) until I got deeper and deeper into the story. I'm like, oh, hell. Okay, yeah. um, Yeah, (laughs) yeah, good choice, Jen.
1: (laughs) I love, and this is just something that you called this out, Jen, but this is something the listeners may not know, is that all the stats that are presented at the end of the Magician's Skull tales are fully DCC compatible, and they author a wealth of just elements that you can use anywhere in your, your games, your settings. And I love that there's a completely new spells, completely new magic items. Terry Olson did a, a marvelous job with those. And yes, he did. You don't have to be using the stories or the settings for taking them and appropriating them and playing with them. I hope that they get compiled someday and, and available once these volumes are out and distributed you know, enough that it makes sense to sort of take them and put them as part of you know, just a, a regular DCC backdrop. So
3: oh, and, let's and,
2: face it, the stories are good enough that it's worth buying the issue for the oh, stories is, yeah. and the stats are just kind of the bonus.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: It really makes me wish, especially with things like the spell write ups, that somebody out there with the grand list is tracking all of these things for the fans. Ability to peruse spells by name, and you know, just a little nudge to our DCC community, and oh, maybe a particular taco. (laughs) (laughs) Much love.
2: (laughs) We're blaming tacos.
3: So, on the note of things that are being statted up, I can only imagine what you have in store for us, Bob.
2: (laughs) Bob Brinkman. Well, first of all, since we each did a different issue, I did issue zero, the only issue with one story and nothing statted up. So...
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're just going to
2: have to do it then, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So the story in issue zero is The Way of Serpents by Howard Andrew Jones, and it was originally published in the Goodman Games 2016 Gen Con Program Guide. So even if you don't have... The issue zero, which was a Kickstarter exclusive, you can still get the story and it is certainly well worth reading. The story begins with a hero, Hanuvar, as a captive of a kingdom of islanders. A great raid is coming and Hanuvar is offered his freedom, with a nudge and a wink that he's going to be killed anyway, if he will travel to the lair of the great winged serpent and ask it to recall an ancient bargain to protect the kingdom and right off the bat I, the, the story just pulled me right in and it gets to the heart of it really quickly and it seemed it seemed just so pure fantasy when i started reading it i was getting the intro concept i'm like well this isn't necessarily the best halloween story but it's a good one and then the story quickly proved me wrong first of all howard hinder jones knows how to set a mood and so you've got this opening with hanuvar kind of almost behaving like Park Conan. He is completely, you know, unperturbed by the fact that they're lying to him and they still plan on killing him and they're probably sending him to his doom. Doesn't bug him at all. And then he teams up with a priestess, Lalusa, and they head off with a few other people that are there to make sure he doesn't escape. And the tone of the story gets dark and creepy Right off the bat, almost immediately once they get going, this weird leather-winged thing greets them at a bridge and demands tribute before it'll allow them to cross, or it's just threatening to kill them and and, and feast on their flesh. And there's this illustration by Michael Wilson that goes with it, this dark, like, monkey lizard wing thing, and, uh, and that's supposed to be something good to stat. Um... <laughs> <laughs> And then you know, the the story has all these twists and turns and betrayals, and finally they get near the lair of this winged serpent. And to get in, they have to descend into this dark water and swim. And they don't know how far they have to swim. And so you've got kind of that, nope. uh, yeah, you've got you've you've got that suffocation horror, like when the the kid in uh, in Signs is having his asthma attack and you sort of stop I said breathing. Nope. <laughs> yeah or or any of these other movies where people are really pushing themselves to the limit and hoping hoping that they're going to find the other side. And, you know, they emerged the other side. And the winged serpent is never really fully described. It has kind of a white-whiskered mustache. So maybe it's something like a Chinese dragon with wings. Maybe it's like a South American serpent. They never really heavily describe it. But the interactions Mm -hmm. that they have with it, this, well, we're here because there's this deal. Oh, was there a deal? And so you have that whole, okay, so there's two people standing alone in a dark, dark cavern with a gigantic thing that could kill them at any moment. And they are armed with
1: wits and wet clothing. (laughs) Oof. And their escape path is back through an underground lake that... (laughs) That this thing could easily follow you through, yeah. Right.
2: So there's this looming sense of doom, this ominous, omnipresent darkness hanging over it. And the story ends in a very interesting fashion with deals being struck that I will not give away because you really want to read this. But I paired this... With the marvelous myriad myconid caverns by Peter Mullen out of Gong Farmers Almanac 2015. Ooh,
3: wait, wait! Peter Mullen wrote
2: an adventure <laughs> by Peter Mullen. I
3: right. am so ashamed of myself right now. I'm sorry, Mister Mullen.
2: <laughs> and it deals with these hidden underground caverns. And I got to thinking, you know, well, okay, so you've made the deal with the winged serpent. What else is in this sealed-away world that you've swum to, you know, that you've gone through all this? What else is locked away from humanity? What else is down here? And, of course, with all of the water and the dank and anything that would be washing ashore, mushrooms just came to mind. And, sure enough, there's a mushroom-based adventure. (laughs) I I could not believe my luck. And the adventure itself is really good. I mean, you could tie this into a lot of things. Substitute the winged serpent for the Leviathan if you wanted to in Sailors on the Starless Sea. Any place where people are going underground, you could certainly tie into something like this as kind of a, a starting or concluding encounter.
3: But the fact that the winged serpent is what is discoursing with them, and saying, oh, was there a deal? Really? That's really interesting.
2: Right. Because the conceit is that there is this ancient deal between the winged serpent and the kingdom that the kingdom would protect the serpent and the serpent would protect the kingdom. And when told about this, the serpent does say, you were going to protect me? <laughs> uh, yeah. And that's when things start to unravel rather quickly. <laughs> it's just there's so much going on in this story and and like i said you know this this issue only has the one story it's got a number of essays and things like that to it i mean there's more than just a story that you may or may not have read and the cover which is a black and white of deep ones kind of boiling out of the sea is truly truly nightmare inducing so there's plenty of stuff If you can lay hands on this i know that goodman had some of these at the booth at gen con and so maybe you might be able to pick some up that way or through the hey we found a few rarities on the goodman site but this is
3: totally worth buying awesome i'm glad we were able to nab one from each issue well it's it's kind of fun the way it worked out
1: it's also worth noting that howard andrew jones is the editor of all the rest of the volumes. And so he's not only the author of this case, but he's the main editor in charge of all the... Uh, material that's been put together for volumes one and volume two, and hopefully volumes to come.
3: I see that he does have a piece in volume one as well.
2: Well, and th- most of the essays in issue zero are by him, whether it's about defining sword and sorcery or about the unsung grandfather of sword and sorcery, Harold Lamb, talking about Lee Brackett. You know, he's not just the editor for Tales from the Magician's Skull. This is a man who knows his stuff, who is working on the new line of Conan novels. This man really knows Appendix N and ties all of these Tales from the Magician's Skull issues together brilliantly because he is such a font of knowledge on the subject to begin
1: with. Mm
3: -hmm. And Howard was a lot of fun to hang out with at Gen Con. So that that's worth noting, too.
1: <laughs> and it, I think it's also, I mean, you point out that there's essays in addition to stories that there are, it's a rich sort of delving into appendix and not just new offerings from a literary standpoint, which makes it very interesting for anybody who's a fan of this genre and, and sort of the new authors that are current in today's sense. But there's also commentary I think in volume 2 Stephen Pogue has a illustrated version of People of the Pit that makes an appearance if you're a Lovecraftian oh, that's fan That's where
3: that went it, okay. Yeah he, he
1: originally created it for a zine that he put together but then it got picked up by The Tales mm-hmm. from the Mission Skull and and so there's a lot in here that it would intrigue any sensibilities in terms of, you know, what media and medium that you partake in, you know, whether it's just pure literature or if you want commentary or if you want illustrations and comic book style. But they've done a really good job. Or, or if you're looking for DCC stats, you know, we mentioned with Terry Olson taking on the lifting of the works into a statable content. Well worth any DCC fans, but any Appendix N fans, you know, time and effort to dig into these stories.
2: Exactly. You know, while these aren't published on cheap pulp paper, they really capture the feel of Weird Tales or Tales to Astonish and all of those old pulps. The stories really, they're not just fantasy stories. They're not just Appendix N-ish stories. They're really well done like you would have found in the old pulps. So any one of these issues is worth picking up. All of them is all the better. And I know that at the What's New with Goodman Games, they said these had sold well enough that there will be more issues and eventually subscriptions will be available. And that'll be really nice.
1: And perfect to fit in with your October, fall, Northeaster that will come in and, and blow a cold wind for Halloween and the and the treats <laughs> and treats that come about with it.
3: Oh, absolutely. I mean, the cover of Volume 1 even looks like a pastiche to Tales from the Crypt.
0: So So there you have it, a trio spun from the pages of Tales from the Magician's Skull to inspire, delight, and potentially doom your tables. Are you not entertained? As for your Halloween treat, look for the special compilation companion that places all of the Sanctum Secorum's creatures at your fingertips in a single volume. Now then, say good night. Good night.
2: I the one who gets this job. Go down the stairs, they say. Find the book. It's right there on the shelf, they say. You can't miss it. Crap, they wonder why I left the show.
1: Ooh, newty book.
2: Bob? Jen? Mark, it's booking down here. Are you sure there's an issue three?
0: Crap. David Beatty. You have been listening to the Sanctum Secorum podcast. Tune in for our next regularly scheduled show coming soon. This has been a production of Sanctum Media, copyright 2018.